0: So Matthew 6, we're going to spend the next three, three weeks simply looking at Matthew 6, verses 5 through to 15. I'm going to read that for us, and tonight our focus will be on 5 to 8. So Matthew 6, verse 5. Jesus, speaking as part of the Sermon on the Mount, says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, Let's pray together, and then we'll think particularly about verses 5 to 8. Father, we thank you that we can call you Father, which means that we can pray simply as children to a parent. And as we pray simply, we ask, please hear us and help us as we listen to you together. In Jesus' name, amen. When you think of God, what do you think of? Uh, I had the privilege of being raised by a teacher for a mother. Uh, For most of her professional life, she taught English at a girl's secondary school, but for a while she did supply teaching, including on at least one occasion covering a primary school class or an infant school class I was in. Many of my um, childhood memories are very vague, but I remember that day clearly because I found it so confusing. Who was this person at the front of the class? Was it Mrs. Pethick or was it Mum? What should I call her? Now, we all know the embarrassment, maybe ours or someone else's, of accidentally calling the teacher mum or dad. But in this case, I genuinely didn't know. And uh, was I supposed to put my hand up when I wanted to say something? I never did that at home. And I wasn't in the habit of hugging my teachers, but what about this teacher? Apparently, I did absolutely no work whatsoever that day. Not because I was naughty, I was just too confused. I was trying to make sense of it, trying to work out who this woman was to me in that classroom and how to relate to her. Well, this evening we're talking about prayer, and the point of that that trip down memory lane is that the way that we relate to God in prayer will be directly connected to how we think about him, who we think he is to us and who we are to him. Uh, Is he like a bank manager, a useful relationship, but it's strictly business? Or even like the dentist, visits are a necessary evil to be kept to an absolute absolute minimum. Well, according to Jesus here in Matthew 6, to those who trust in the Lord Jesus, God wants to be thought of as Father. He wants us to think of Him that way, to relate to Him that way, and of course to pray to Him that way, which is the focus this evening. And to pray to Him as a particular kind of Father, a Father who sees us. Who knows us and who loves to provide for us in our need. So, we're going to hear two lessons uh, this evening from Jesus about prayer. And the first is this we can pray secretly to the Father who sees us, verses uh, five and six. Ignore that, five and six. Uh, both lessons here uh, follow the same pattern. Uh, we get first a negative example to avoid and then a positive pattern to follow. And in verse 5 and 6, the negative example is provided there by the hypocrites. See that word in verse 5. You must not be like the hypocrites. So, uh, pictures, picture with me a very religious person. They're standing on a box uh, next to the flower stand, maybe, over in, in the middle of Richmond, and this person, he has a very holy look on his face. He's, he's in a sort of religious trance, so apparently overcome by the strength of his deep devotion to God. His eyes are closed, and he's praying the most eloquent prayer you've ever heard anyone pray. And he's gathered around him a group of people, some curious, others deeply religious and profoundly impressed. And at first, as you listen to this man pray, so are you. You envy him and his amazing prayermanship. You wish you could pray like that with such apparent power and word skill and reverence but as you study the man's face more closely, you notice that every so often, almost imperceptibly, the praying man will open his right eye just enough to see the faces of the crowd standing in a semicircle around him. You so see, he'll finish a long, impressive phrase full of religious words, and then he'll pause and look to see the looks of wonder on his adoring crowd, and then he'll close his eye again, and he'll, he'll launch into another long phrase and then open his eye a crack to see the, the, the growing crowd, and on and on and on it goes. Now, look, it wouldn't happen here, would it? it wouldn't work. This isn't a deeply religious culture, at least not in these terms. Today, if you want to wow people in central Richmond, you need a guitar and a microphone and probably a good voice. But back then, this would have been a good way to do it. You find a public spot and you wow the crowds with your public piety, And Jesus here is profoundly unimpressed. He uses the hypocrite word there in verse 5, which, as we heard recently in our series in Mark, is the word for actor. Actors used to use masks to show different facial expressions. This prayer says Jesus is an actor. They're they're wearing a religious mask. They they may only be deceiving the crowds, as in they know full well that what they're doing is a bit of a sham, but they're hoping to con someone else. But they might also be self-deceived, They might have fallen for their own act, but the one person that they don't fool, of course, is the Lord. He sees behind the mask to the motive, and as far as he's concerned, uh, in verse 5, all the reward that they'll receive is the praise of people, which in Jesus' eyes isn't worth very much at all. As we hear the warning, we have to be honest, don't we, and say it's not impossible that we could fall into similar kinds of traps here in church life. I mean, your, your prayer life probably isn't going to impress your colleagues at work unless you're on the staff team here, I suppose. But, but it, might, it might impress uh, Christians at church. Uh, or it might not be your prayer life, it might be your Bible knowledge or your hospitality or your meeting attendance or the number of rotors you've managed to squeeze yourself onto or whatever it is. We we can fall into the trap, if we're not careful, of turning our devotion to the Lord Jesus into a performance before other people, Uh, which is why it can be healthy, can't it, from time to time to check with ourselves and before the Lord, why am I doing this thing that I'm doing? Why do I play in the band on a Sunday? Why do I stand on the door in Welcome, or why do I serve communion? Or why do I preach? Why am I standing up here doing what I'm doing now? Why why do I go to the prayer gathering? If I go to the prayer gathering, why do I pray out loud there? Who am I doing this for really? Is it for me and for the praise I'll get, or is it for the Lord and His people? The true test of my motives when it comes to prayer is this, or at least one of them: do I ever pray in secret? Do I ever pray in secret? And we need to understand Jesus very carefully here. He can't possibly be forbidding uh, public prayer. I, was, I had a conversation with a, a relatively young Christian not so long ago who would come to the conclusion that there should never be prayer gatherings, prayer meetings because of this verse. And so we look together at um, Acts chapter 4, for example, where we see the church under pressure calling together a, a meeting of the church to pray. They had a prayer meeting. It's clearly presented as a good thing. Uh, Jesus, on several occasions, prays in front of other people. He prays on his own too, of course, but he's, he's not against praying in front of others. We have some of those prayers recorded in the gospel. So, the point Jesus is making here isn't that praying in the presence of other people is always wrong. In fact, as Jeans reminded us just now, group prayer can be incredibly helpful. I mean, there's so many reasons, to, for example, to love at the prayer gathering here on Alternate Thursdays. Look, please do come along if you possibly can. I know that not everybody can for life circumstance reasons, but if you possibly can come, please come. It is so good to hear other people pray, to hear them express what's on our heart and think, yeah, that's what I want too. That's what I want to say to the Lord. Maybe you you didn't feel you had the words to say it, but they do. You're so pleased to hear it from them. Or or they pray for something that wasn't on your heart, but now it is because they prayed about it. And you think, yeah, I do. I do want to care about that too. Thank you for praying that. Sometimes we're just not in the mind frame to be able to articulate a prayer ourselves. And all we can do is say amen to someone else's prayer. And the moment we do it becomes ours. The same goes, of course, for prayer partnerships. I know some of us are in prayer triplets here, and so on, and so on. As someone else has said, the problem Jesus is warning us about here isn't about being seen praying. It's about praying in order to be seen. And one great sign that we're really praying to God and not praying to be seen by other people is that we pray when there's no one else around. A man called uh, Robert Murray McShane expressed this principle very strongly. He said, a man is what he is, on his knees before God and nothing more a man is what he is on his knees before god and nothing more and we could say a woman too it's a great evidence of where we are spiritually when i'm alone do i ever pray now why might we not pray on our own and let's assume for 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 the moment that we're not hypocrites why else might we not pray There's lots of reasons we might not, lots of things that might be obstacles. We haven't got time to go into all of them. But one reason we might not is the suspicion that we're just talking into the air. You ever wonder wonder that as you're praying on your own? Is this really doing anything? Is anybody really hearing me say any of these words or think these words? What does Jesus say in verse 6? Pray to your Father who is in secret, verse 6, and your Father who sees in secret... Will reward you. You're not praying into the air. You're praying to a father who hears you, who sees you. And this has been a very precious truth for many people. I think, for example, of poor Hagar. Remember her story back in Genesis chapter 16? And she was the lady, that the servant used by Abram and then disposed of by Sarai and then sent on her way into the wilderness. And there she is in Genesis 16, she's destitute, she's sitting by a spring in the desert, she's got no prospects anymore, and the Lord sends an angel to her with a message of comfort, and the impression it made on Hagar is clear from the name she gave the Lord. So she called on the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. And Jesus is telling us here, my Father sees you. When no one else can, whatever it is that's on your heart, whether your prayer that day is full of joy and gratitude, life is going really well, you've got so many reasons to give thanks to God, it just bubbles up, or really you're filled with grief and pain and disappointment and sorrow. He sees you. He hears you. And when you pray to him, Jesus says he will reward you. That's strange, isn't it? What does He mean, He will reward you? What's the reward for private prayer? Well, Jesus doesn't spell it out here. Maybe we wish He had. Maybe we're to think of the rewards that we'll receive now, like, for example, the reward of a closer relationship with God, or the reward of an answer to our prayer, perhaps, even if that answer isn't what we wanted, or, or maybe it's the reward of a change in us as we learn prayer by prayer to trust Him. But when Jesus has talked, though, about rewards so far in Matthew, he's been talking most of all about heavenly rewards, future rewards. How are we to understand that when it comes to prayer? Well, it is difficult to grasp. But maybe here's one way to think about it. That when we arrive at the new creation, when we arrive in heaven in the great thing that God is working on now, and we enter into the joy of the Lord, at that point, every moment we spent in prayer here and now will make sense. On that day, we won't look back and think, what a waste of time, or it turns out I was just talking into the air. We'll meet the one we prayed to in this life, and we'll be so glad that we did, so glad for every moment spent praying on our own or with others. Here's the second and final lesson this evening from Jesus on prayer. We can pray simply to the Father who knows we need, verses 7 and 8. Notice once again, we're given a bad example to avoid and a good habit to adopt. And what we're to avoid is what we could call arm-twisting prayer. If I'm to get what I want from God, I'm going to have to say this exactly right. I've got to unlock the exact form of words and the exact length of prayer that'll get from God what I'm after. Sometimes Christians can struggle with this. You know, you asked for something perhaps and you didn't get it, and you worried that you said the prayer wrong. It's true that how we pray can affect God's answer. So, for example, in James 4, the Spirit tells the church there that you do not have because you do not ask. So how does it can be to get our heads around. Sometimes the problem is simply that we haven't asked God for it. So if, for example, you're not finding many opportunities to share the gospel, why don't you try praying and see what happens? But James goes on in James 4, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. And we think, ah, there we go, that's what I I feared. I didn't ask in a persuasive enough way, I wasn't convincing enough, I didn't use long enough words, or I didn't spend long enough in prayer. Maybe another five minutes would have got the job done. Well, let me read you the whole verse. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So the problem James is attacking there wasn't a lack of eloquence, It was that they were asking for something sinful or something that they would use for sinful things something that would be bad for them and thankfully the lord loves us enough to say no to those kinds of prayers the key to effective prayer is not eloquence or length piling up wonderful phrases doesn't make your prayer any more powerful from time to time uh, churches organize nights or weeks of prayer and they can be really helpful can't they They can be really helpful when they focus a church's uh, family life on prayer. They can be quite unhelpful, though, if they give the impression that God only listens to prayer if you do it all night. As though praying for 12 hours is more likely to get God's attention than praying for 12 minutes. The God to whom we pray doesn't need us to twist his arm with long and impressive prayers, and Jesus in verse 8 reminds us why. Verse 8, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He's a father. Good fathers don't need to be persuaded or have their arms twisted to help their children. They love to help their children. Good fathers love it when their children ask them for help. And because this father is God, he knows exactly what we need, as Jesus says, even before we ask this is a bit cheeky, but I wonder whether you've, you've heard the information prayer before. It's the, the prayer that updates the Lord on what's going on. So we've just, you know, we've just had a long chat together in some small group about something, uh, something. Someone suggests we pray about it, having had this long chat. And then the prayer repeats the entire conversation in the prayer, as though the Lord has only just turned up in the room. And you know, well, Lord, you know, Vera's been unwell for about a month now, and she's gone into hospital. It's West Mid, I think, onto Green Ward. She's uh, visiting hours. Lord, are between, open between ten and six, and and on and on and on it goes. Uh, and, and the Lord is just so pleased to be kept up to date. Now, okay, it's not a terrible thing to pray like that, right? But there really is no need. He's heard all of the conversation. He knew what the conversation was going to be before the conversation began. We think, well, okay, but then why bother to pray at all? I mean, what's the point of prayer if Jesus is right here and God knows what we need before we've even asked him? Surely the answer, again, is because he's our father. He wants to hear from us. He wants to know us. He wants to be known by us. He wants us to know that this gift whatever it is, hasn't arrived by accident, it's not a random twist of fate, it's a gift of love from a father in response to a request from his children. You have it because you ask me and I love you. I mean, take food, for example. It comes up in Matthew 6, in fact, it comes up in the Lord's prayer, doesn't it? In the Lord's prayer, Jesus tells us we should ask the Lord for our daily bread, But God knows that we need food. Jesus makes that point, too, later in chapter 6. Your father knows that you need all these things. So why does he tell us to ask him for it anyway? So that when the food arrives, however it arrives, we'll know who to thank. We'll know that this is an expression of love from our heavenly father. Not just mum or dad, not just Tesco or Waitrose or Little or whatever, but the Lord. He knows what we need, but he loves to hear us ask him. He wants us to speak with Him. He's our Father. Perhaps we're worried about something else. We think, well, if He's such a loving Father and He knows exactly what we need, why doesn't He always grant our requests? Why do so many of my prayers seem to go unanswered? The problem of unanswered prayer is a vexing one for all sorts of Christians. I think that depends, doesn't it, by what we mean by unanswered prayer? Someone has uh, suggested five answers the Lord might give to our prayers. You might be able to think of some others afterwards. Let me know. Here are five someone suggested. Uh, The Lord might answer, yes. No. Wait. Just hold on a minute. Wait. Do it yourself. Lord, please get the gospel to my next-door neighbor. Somehow, by some miracle, get the gospel to my next-door neighbor. Do it yourself. I'll help you. Be the answer to your own prayer. And then five, it's not really your business. None of your business. That is, it's as though the Lord says to us, look, that's for me to know and for you to trust. Yes, no, wait, do it yourself or over to you. Uh, none of your business. He does answer prayer. He doesn't always answer prayer with the answer we want. He always answers with what we need. And isn't that a relief? What if God gave us everything we want, no matter how it would affect us? What if he just showed no discrimination whatsoever? Anything you ask for, he gives you, even if it will ruin you. Isn't it a good thing that he loves his children enough sometimes to say no or wait or mind your own business? He knows what we need so we can pray very simply. And some of the most lovely prayers in the Bible, when you think about it, are very simple, very short, aren't they? Uh, You think of uh, Jesus' story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember, the Pharisee comes and stands at the front, doesn't he? And he prays this amazing prayer, and the crowds would have been wowed by it. We'd call it today a humble brag. It's, it's, a list, it's a prayer that sounds humble, but it's really a brag about how great he is, and all the reasons that God should reward him for his great life and his great devotion. And do you remember, while he's praying this great sort of humble brag, eloquent prayer at the front, there's a man at the back who can't lift his eyes to heaven, but looks down and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. The prayer that brought joy to the heart of the Lord that day was the prayer at the back of the room and not at the front. Or we think of the, the, the prayer of the thief on the cross hanging next to the Lord Jesus. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It doesn't get much more simple than that. Today you will be with me in paradise. For many of us, the most significant prayer we ever prayed or maybe the beginning of our prayer life began with the most simple prayer, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me and help me to follow Jesus from now on. We can speak to him like a child because he really is to us our Father. And once we've said it simply, we can leave it knowing that he's listened, that he knows, and that he will respond in just the right way. So let's finish this evening where we began and ask ourselves, when we think of God, what do we think of? Is he a person that we want to speak to in prayer? And as the week goes on, the next few days, as we, as we think of him as a deeply loving, all-knowing Heavenly Father, how will we pray? Where will we pray? When do we plan to pray? Maybe in your fav- favorite chair in the living room or praying in the shower or on the walk to the tube or sitting at your desk at work or waking, waiting for the children Or as you drift off to sleep, your Heavenly Father loves to hear from you. What do you want to say simply to Him? We're going to spend a moment now in the silence. He sees us where we are here. He's just waiting to hear from us. So let's spend a moment in the silence on our own, in our hearts, drawing near to our Heavenly Father in prayer.